Hello, Monetization Nation. I'm Nathan Gwilliam, your host, and welcome back to another episode with Shailene Gupta. She's the co-author of the book, The Power of Trust. And in our last episode, we discussed how trust can empower our business. Today, we're going to discuss ways we can build, lose, and regain trust. We're going to cover the following key takeaways. Number one, whenever we take a daily action, we can ask ourselves, how can we build trust? With whom will this build trust? Number two, the only sustainable long-term strategy is to build a company that people love. Number three, one of the common ways to lose trust as a company is through layoffs. And finally, number four, as we hit roadblocks in our businesses, we should look for innovative ways to overcome them. If we make a mistake, there's almost always a way to fix it. What do we as companies need to do to build trust day to day? You know, I, I feel like I'm at risk of sounding like a broken record because I'm just going to go back to these four different pillars. So I think it's really, as a company, whenever you take an action, asking yourself, who will this build trust with and how will it build trust? And so it's really just sort of evaluating what you need to do next on a day to day. Because the answer is going to change depending on who you are, what size you are, who you're working with, what you sell. Yeah, definitely. So asking, asking ourselves those questions about each decision. Will this decision increase trust or will this tre- this decision decrease trust? I have a great example about this. So uh, it seems like lately there's some of these businesses that have done auto-dialed, pre-recorded voicemail messages from marketers. And they've really started to annoy me. And they like send them right to your voicemail and, and it's these pre-recorded marketing messages. And, and so I had one of these salespeople that contacted me saying, why don't you do this for your business? We, we can do this for you and broadcast this message out there. And I said, but I hate it when people do that to me. So I'm, you know, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that to my customers. And his response was, well, so-and-so and so-and-so, and he named two big names of big marketers that that people know. He said, well, this company and this company do it and it works really well for them and they're getting great results from it. And I think they didn't ask the right question. The right question is, does it build trust or take away trust? The question isn't, does it convert sale? Can I, can I get sales off of it? The question is, does it help build trust with my in my relationships with my customers or does it take it away? And, and we just have to be disciplined as companies of saying, if, if this strategy is going to take away trust from my relationship with my customers, I'm not going to do it regardless of how it drives sales. The number of sales is not the deciding factor. The trust growth is, should be the deciding factor. Do you agree with that? Oh, that's so good. I was going to say, like, just can we, can we crystallize that moment and keep it because, that's exactly it. We were actually doing some work with a bank in Kazakhstan, and it was the third largest bank in Kazakhstan. And the CEO sat down and realized customers hated them. CEOs would be like, well, we're the third largest bank. I mean, come on. Whatever we're doing is working. And he was just like, no, this is unacceptable. I want to be a bank. I want to build a bank that people love. And so he set about rebuilding the entire business and today they're doing far better and they've been given far more permission to innovate and license to operate. And they've actually become, they were um, the government's partner during COVID to disperse payments to people because they're so beloved. That's kind of the antithesis of how so many companies make their decisions today. It feels like so many decisions are made today based upon 
what makes the most profit. But it feels like that's a very short-sighted, you know, matrix for decision making, right? The the rubric we're using there is is wrong. And and it feels like long term that doesn't last. Long term those companies go out of business and and we we may be forced to use them in the short term because we don't have other options, but in the long term competitors will arise and we will jump to those other competitors as soon as we have a viable option. And so the only sustainable long-term strategy is to build a company that people love. You nailed it right there. Can you tell me some of the most common things that companies do to lose trust? What do we need to be looking out for? What are the most common things we need to be aware of? So first of all, on a very simple basis, layoffs. And this is why this book initially started as a layoff project, because it turns out layoffs are extremely destructive. So when you lay off an employee, up to 20 years later, they'll still trust businesses less than their peers who haven't been laid off. Not only that, though, after you lay off employees, you still have the survivors. And it turns out they get incredibly disengaged and their performance goes down. Because when they're asking, you know, when is it going to be my turn? What happened? And there's some survivor skills. So the whole thing is just bad for everyone. And not only that, if you get to a point as a company where you need to rehire workers, you have to rehire them, which takes an investment of money and time. And then you have to retrain them. And you've lost all of this internal expertise in the meanwhile. And so something that companies actually did a really great job of during COVID was using furloughs instead of layoffs. And it seems like kind of a simple solution, but for so long, layoffs have been the solution to, oh, it's a hard time. We're facing cost cutting. Let's, let's lay someone off. But it, it's worth repeating it again and again. Try to find something. Yeah. I, I look back in my career of, of some of the biggest mistakes that I've made. And and there was a time where I had to do, a, there were a couple of times I've had to do major layoffs in companies I've run. And uh, I look back at the most recent time I did that and I lost so much credibility from the people I let go and from the people I retained. And uh, I, I ended up having to re- ultimately replace almost everybody at that company because of the credibility I lost from having to do that layoff. So I, I, uh, I've seen it, been there, done that, made that mistake. And, and I agree with you, uh, doing everything we can to prevent layoffs. Now that doesn't mean we don't need to get rid of the wrong people in our company, but doing everything we can to prevent layoffs, uh, is definitely, uh, it's something we can do to to retain trust. What else do companies do that that commonly hurts their trust? I mean, I think you named another one, which is you should get rid of the wrong person. Like you need to have that hard conversation because a company's culture is really important, right? It's how we think and how we behave and what behaviors are incentivized and rewarded. And so if you have people who are really being rewarded for not acting as part of the culture. What are you really doing? You're creating something else. And so that fear of not wanting to have that hard conversation, not wanting to reinforce values when you've got a star performer who's bringing in the results, at the end of the day, it doesn't take you to very good place. Yeah, I've I've made that mistake too. Uh, Early in my career, I did not let go of people soon enough, right? When when you know it's not going to work and you've you've done what you can, I I kept people to 
long. And I've learned the longer I've been doing this, that if it's not going to work, let them go to a place they can be successful. And, and, uh, because when you keep that person, that's not a fit, you're, you're setting an expectation and losing credibility with the rest of the people in the organization. We actually had a really great conversation with one CEO who was operating in an environment where it was not, she was coming into a company that had gone through a very traumatic turnaround. There's a lot of mistrust that she had to handle. And she was not in a political environment where it was necessarily easy to have some of these conversations or the government didn't necessarily protect letting, like, protect firing. Um, so what she did actually is she had these really deep personal conversations with people and laid out sort of here's the new vision and the vision of where we're going. Together they cooked up an individual performance plan of like here's what you need to do, here's what needs to get done, here's how many times we're going to check in. And then she did the check-in and by the end of the process, if someone had the ability to stay, very clearly they would stay, if somebody didn't if they were at the point where they were like, Hey, you know what? I think I I need to find my place somewhere else. Can you give me one more example, one more story of a company that that lost trust? So this is the company, um, Recruit Holdings, where literally charismatic founder founded this company, which does advertisement. And then in the 1980s, he sold a ton of shares in exchange for political favors. So bad. The newspapers tried to cover this up. And basically... The prime minister has to step down. The entire cabinet resigns. 159 members of Japan's elite are implicated. It, it gets to the point where, like, school books teach it this today, and they call it the recruit scandal. So if you ask somebody in Japan about recruit holding company that does advertisements, they'll say, oh, you mean the scandal? Wow. Okay, so this is a great story. They They had this huge scandal. They made this huge mistake that lost them a lot of trust. They obviously only were able to stay in business because they were able to regain that trust. So how did they regain that? So first of all, as I touched on earlier, they had a great product and they had this way of training their salespeople to really solve problems. So they didn't actually lose many customers. They had a bigger trust problem though. Nobody wanted to work for them. So people who worked at Recruit, their children were getting bullied on the playground. It was that bad. And so when you're hemorrhaging employees, like, and nobody wants to work for you because your reputation has been so tarnished. It's not looking great. And the other part is they didn't have a whole lot of money because they also discovered this founder had left them with a debt and the payment, the interest payments exceeded their yearly income. So it's not like they had a lot of money to throw large salaries around. And at the time, Japan had a society where you're supposed to guarantee lifetime employment. You have tons of perks that you give your employees, like housing and cars. And Recruit was like, oh, my God, we can't do any of this. What are we going to do? And so they sat down and they totally rethought how they thought about companies. They realized we can no longer promise our companies lifetime employment, which is what a Japanese company is supposed to do. So we'll guarantee them lifetime employability. We're going to give them the opportunities, the training, and the skills to make the Recruit brand such a big thing on their resume that any company will want to hire them. So they invested their resources in bringing lectures to Japan. And so the recruit wasn't that famous at the time. They actually went to Stanford and convinced the professors to come back and teach their employees. They basically came up with an option for flexible work where they realized a lot of mid-career employees had other passions they wanted to pursue, but also still needed the income. 
So they created room to work part-time. They actually today have this process where once you hit the age of 35 and you've worked at the company for six years, they offer you a retirement bonus of $75,000. And this is to make sure the employees who stay really, really want to be at recruit and really feel like they have something left to give. Because if they have a different dream, they're not giving it 100% and they should just take this money to help them transition over to whatever their other dream is. So think of how many entrepreneurs, when they hit that challenge, they just would have given up and the company would have folded. That they looked internally, that they innovated, that they created a different system where they could differentiate themselves. Um, I, I'm just so impressed by that. That's a lesson we can all learn as we hit our roadblocks in our, our business creation. Okay. Uh, can you share with us any one more story of, of a company that lost trust and then regained it? Another one of my favorites is Michelin. So around like the 2010, Michelin announced great, like the highest profits it had, and in the same breath said, hey, we're going to be taking huge layoffs. Because it turns out that they had stiff competition in Asia with lower cost tires, and they simply couldn't afford to continue their same business model. And there was a huge, furious outcry. Employees took to the streets. It was just bad. And yet it was so bad, the Prime Minister of France had to make a law about when you take layoffs. So you know it's gotten really bad when there's a law named after you. And Michelin realized, okay, this is the problem because we are in a business where the competition has shifted. We are going to need to be relooking at our business model. So more layoffs are coming up. And I know I just said, like, don't take layoffs and avoid it. But there are times when you cannot because the business has to change if you are going to survive. And so Michelin then developed a process for laying off employees that became best in house. And it had a lot of little different elements that sort of worked together. But by and large, the idea was to give employees the soft landing they could. So the first was they gave employees a chance to build a business case for their site. Is there a different kind of product they could make? Is there a different way to help the company? And if there was, great, the site stayed open. If there wasn't, then it was a process of, is there somewhere we can move employees? Is there a job internally they can take? And then if not, Michelin actually worked together with the community to figure out a way to come up with a similar number of jobs or ensure that the employees still had revenues. Another example that, that I've seen in my career, uh, David Neilman, who uh, started JetBlue Airlines, uh, they had a crisis where uh, during a storm, a whole bunch of passengers were left on airplanes for long periods of time. And, and there was some, some very serious trust that was eroded from JetBlue. And, and they took a series of steps, uh, such as implementing a customer bill of rights um, that really helped to rebuild that trust as well. One of my favorite examples, too, because it's such a perfect apology. Because I think most people kind of, A, people are hesitant to apologize because they're afraid that it means admitting guilt, but you, sh you should apologize because that shows you recognize the problem. But second of all, it doesn't stop at the apology. He actually says, I'm going to take steps to rectify the problem. And that process still exists at JetBlue today. I was the president of his nonprofit foundation at the time he lost the job. So I was very close working with him directly when he was fired from that and, and kind of saw the, what he went through. And then he, when he started his next airline, Azul, uh, down in Brazil, I helped him start that airline. So I, I kind of lived 
that a little bit. Thank you so much, Shailene, for sharing your stories and insights with us today. To learn more about or connect with Shailene, you can find her on Twitter or her website, shailengupta.com. You can also find her book, The Power of Trust, on Amazon. And there's a link to each of these sites on the blog post for this episode on our site. You can also get a free copy of my ebook, uh, Passion Marketing, where you can learn how to become a top priority of your ideal customers. You can download that at passionmarketing.com. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode, and I wish you success in building and not losing customer trust. Do you want to become a better digital monetizer? To receive great monetization stories and secrets, please go to monetizationnation.com and join free. And if you liked today's episode, please subscribe to the show and share it.